Rinky Tink in Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 8, narrated by Joan Freeman. Rinky Tink in Oz by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 8. Rinky Tink Makes a Great Mistake. The fat king rode his goat through the streets of the conquered city, and the boy prince walked proudly beside him, while all the people bent their heads humbly to their new masters, whom they were prepared to serve in the same manner they had King Goss. Not a warrior remained in all Regos to oppose the triumphant three. The bridge of boats had been destroyed. Inga and his companions were free from danger, for a time at least. The jolly little king appreciated this fact, and rejoiced that he had escaped all injury during the battle. How it had all happened he could not tell, nor even guess, but he was content in being safe and free to take possession of the enemy's city. So, as they passed through the lines of respectful civilians on their way to the palace, the king tipped his crown back on his bald head, and folded his arms, and sang in his best voice the following lines. Oh, here comes the army of King Rinkatink. It isn't a big one, perhaps you may think, but it scattered the warriors quicker than wink. Rinkatink, tink-a-tink, tink. Our builders a hero, and so is his king. Our foemen have vanished like birds on the wing. I guess that his fighters were quite the real thing. Rinkatink, tink-a-tink, tink. Why don't you give a little credit to Inga? inquired the goat. If I remember aright, he did a little of the conquering himself. So he did, responded the king. And that's the reason I'm sounding our own praise, Bilbil. Those who do the least often shout the loudest and so get the most glory. Inga did so much that there is danger of his becoming more important than we are, and so we'd best say nothing about him. When they reached the palace, which was an immense building, furnished throughout in regal splendor, Inga took formal possession and ordered the majordomo to show them the finest rooms the building contained. There were many pleasant apartments, but Rinkitink proposed to Inga that they share one of the largest bedrooms together. For, said he, we are not sure that old Goss will not return and try to recapture his city, and you must remember that I have no magic to protect me. In any danger, were I alone, I might be easily killed or captured, while if you are by my side you can save me from injury. The boy realized the wisdom of this plan, and selected a fine big bedroom on the second floor of the palace, in which he ordered two golden beds placed and prepared for King Rinkitink and himself. Bilbil was given a suite of rooms on the other side of the palace, where servants brought the goat fresh-cut grass to eat, and made him a soft bed to lie upon. That evening the boy prince and the fat king dined in great state in the lofty domed dining hall of the palace, where forty servants waited upon them. The royal chef, anxious to win the favor of the conquerors of Rigos, prepared his finest and most savory dishes for them, which Rinkitink ate with much appetite, and found so delicious that he ordered the royal chef brought into the banquet hall, and presented him with a gilt button which the king cut from his own jacket. "'You are welcome to it,' said he to the chef. 
because I have eaten so much that I cannot use the lower button at all. Rinky-Tink was mightily pleased to live in a comfortable palace again and to dine at a well-spread table. His joy grew every moment so that he came in time to be as merry and cheery as before Pingaree was despoiled. And, although he had been much frightened during Inga's defiance of the army of King Goss, he now began to turn the matter into a joke. "'Why, my boy,' said he, "'you whipped the big black-bearded king exactly as if he were a schoolboy, even though you used no warlike weapons at all upon him. He was cowed through fear of your magic, and that reminds me to demand from you an explanation. How did you do it, Inga? And where did the wonderful magic come from?' Perhaps it would have been wise for the prince to have explained about the magic pearls, but at that moment he was not inclined to do so. Instead, he replied, Be patient, your majesty. The secret is not my own, so please do not ask me to divulge it. Is it not enough for the present that the magic saved you from death today? Do not think me ungrateful, answered the king earnestly. A million spears fell on me from the wall, and several stones as big as mountains, yet none of them hurt me. The stones were not as big as mountains, sire said the prince with a smile. They were indeed no larger than your head. Are you sure about that? asked Rinky-Tink. Quite sure, your majesty. How deceptive those things are, sighed the king. This argument reminds me of the story of Tom Tick, which my father used to tell me. I have never heard that story, Inga answered. Well, as he told it, it ran like this. When Tom walked out the sky to spy, a naughty gnat flew in his eye. But Tom knew not it was a gnat. He thought at first it was a cat. And then it felt so very big, he thought it surely was a pig. Till standing still to hear it grunt, he cried, Why, it's an elephant! But when the gnat flew out again, and Tom was free from all his pain, he said there flew into my eye a little teeny tiny fly. Indeed, said Inga laughing. The gnat was much like your stones, that seemed as big as mountains. After their dinner they inspected the palace, which was filled with valuable goods stolen by King Goss from many nations. But the day's events had tired them, and they retired early to their big sleeping apartment. In the morning, said the boy to Rinky-Tink as he was undressing for bed, I shall begin the search for my father and mother, and the people of Fingery. And when they are found and rescued... We will all go home again, and be as happy as we were before. They carefully bolted the door of their room, that no one might enter, and then got into their beds, where Rinky-Tink fell asleep in an instant. The boy lay awake for a while, thinking over the day's adventures, but presently he fell sound asleep also. And so weary was he that nothing disturbed his slumber, until he awakened next morning with a ray of sunshine in his eyes which had crept into the room through the open window by King Rinky-Tink's bed. Resolving to begin the search for his parents without any unnecessary delay, Inga at once got out of bed and began to dress himself, while Rinky-Tink in the other bed was still sleeping peacefully. But when the boy had put on both his stockings and began looking for his shoes, he could find but one of them. The left shoe, that containing the pink pearl, was missing. 
Filled with anxiety at this discovery, Inga searched through the entire room, looking underneath the beds and divans and chairs and behind the draperies and in the corners and every other possible place a shoe might be. He tried the door and found it still bolted. So, with growing uneasiness, the boy was forced to admit that the precious shoe was not in the room. With a throbbing heart, he aroused his companion. King Rinkatink, said he, do you know what has become of my left shoe? Your shoe? exclaimed the king, giving a wide yawn and rubbing his eyes to get the sleep out of them. Have you lost a shoe? Yes, said Inga. I have searched everywhere in the room and cannot find it. But why bother me about such a small thing? inquired Rinkitink. A shoe is only a shoe, and you can easily get another one. But stay, perhaps it was your shoe which I threw at the cat last night. The cat? cried Inga. What do you mean? Why, in the night, explained Rinkitink, sitting up and beginning to dress himself. I was awakened by the mewing of a cat that sat upon a wall of the palace just outside my window. As the noise disturbed me, I reached out in the dark and caught up something and threw it at the cat to frighten the creature away. I did not know what it was that I threw, and I was too sleepy to care. But probably it was your shoe, since it is now missing. Then, said the boy in a despairing tone of voice, Your carelessness has ruined me as well as yourself, King Rinkitink. For in that shoe was concealed the magic power which protected us from danger. The king's face became very serious when he heard this, and he uttered a low whistle of surprise and regret. Why on earth did you not warn me of this? he demanded. And why did you keep such a precious power in an old shoe? And why didn't you put the shoe under a pillow? You are very wrong, my lad, in not confiding to me, your faithful friend, the secret, for in that case the shoe would not now be lost. To all this Inga had no answer. He sat on the side of his bed, with hanging head, utterly disconsolate, and seeing this Rinkitink had pity for his sorrow. Come, cried the king, let us go at once and look for the shoe which I threw at the cat. It must even now be lying in the yard of the palace. This suggestion roused the boy to action. He at once threw open the door and in his stocking feet rushed down the staircase, closely followed by Rinkitink. But although they looked on both sides of the palace wall, and in every possible crack and corner where a shoe might lodge, they failed to find it. After a half-hour's careful search, the boy said sorrowfully, Someone must have passed by as we slept and taken the precious shoe, not knowing its value. To us, King Rinkitink, this will be a dreadful misfortune, for we are surrounded by dangers from which we have now no protection. Luckily I have the other shoe left, within which is the magic power that gives me strength, so not all is lost. Then he told Rinkitink, in a few words, the secret of the wonderful pearls, and how he had recovered them from the ruins, and hidden them in his shoes, and how they had enabled him to drive King Goss and his men from Regos and to capture the city. The king was much astonished, and when the story was concluded, he said to Inga, What did you do with the other shoe? Why, I left it in our bedroom, replied the boy. Then I advise you to get it at once, continued Rinkitink, for we can ill afford to lose the second shoe, as well as the one I threw at the cat. You are right, 
cried Inga, and they hastened back to their bedchamber. On entering the room they found an old woman sweeping and raising a great deal of dust. Where is my shoe? asked the prince anxiously. The old woman stopped sweeping and looked at him in a stupid way, for she was not very intelligent. Do you mean the one-eyed shoe that was lying on the floor when I came in? she finally asked. Yes, yes, answered the boy. Where is it? Tell me where it is. Why, I threw it on the dust heap outside the back gate, said she, for it being but a single shoe with no mate, it can be of no use to anyone. Show us the way to the dust heap at once, commanded the boy sternly, for he was greatly frightened by this new misfortune which threatened him. The old woman hobbled away, and they followed her, constantly urging her to hasten. But when they reached the dust heap, no shoe was to be seen. This is terrible, wailed the young prince, ready to weep at his loss. We are now absolutely ruined, and at the mercy of our enemies. Nor shall I be able to liberate my dear father and mother. Well, replied Rinkitink, leaning against an old barrel and looking quite solemn. The thing is certainly unlucky any way we look at it. I suppose someone has passed along here and, seeing the shoe upon the dust heap, has carried it away. But no one could know the magic power the shoe contains, and so will not use it against us. I believe, Inga, that we must now depend upon our wits to get us out of the scrape we are in. With saddened hearts they returned to the palace, and entering a small room where no one could observe them or overhear them, the boy took the white pearl from its silken bag and held it to his ear, saying, What shall I do now? Tell no one of your loss, answered the voice of the pearl. If your enemies do not know that you are powerless, they will fear you as much as ever. Keep your secret, be patient, and fear not. Inga heeded this advice, and also warned Rinkitink to say nothing to anyone of the loss of the shoes and the powers they contained. He sent for the shoemaker of King Goss, who soon brought him a new pair of red leather shoes that fitted him quite well. When these had been put upon his feet, the prince, accompanied by the king, started to walk through the city. Wherever they went, the people bowed low to the conqueror, although a few, remembering Inga's terrible strength, ran away in fear and trembling. They had been used to severe masters, and did not yet know how they would be treated by King Goss's successor. There being no occasion for the boy to exercise the powers he had displayed the previous day, his present helplessness was not suspected by any of the citizens of Regos, who still considered him a wonderful magician. Inga did not dare to fight his way to the mines at present nor could he try to conquer the island of Corrigos, where his mother was enslaved. So he set about the regulation of the city of Regos, and having established himself with great state in the royal palace, he began to govern the people by kindness, having consideration for the most humble. The king of Regos and his followers sent spies across to the island they had abandoned in their flight, and these spies returned with the news that the terrible boy-conqueror was still occupying the city. Therefore none of them ventured to go back to Regos, but continued to live upon the neighboring island of Corrigos, where they passed the days in fear and trembling, and sought to plot and plan ways how they might overcome the Prince of Pingaree 
and the fat king of Gilgad. The end of chapter 8